part of our family is not able to be with us because of the snow, but you know what? You are the tried and the true, the brave and the magnificent, the wonderful, the top of the top, the cream of the crop. You're here. Give everybody a round of applause. You made it. Now sliding around. You don't mess around. You take it seriously. We are happy that you are with us. Uh, but for real, by the show of hands, who is ready for summer? Uh, and who is ready to get rid of winter? And who is tired of snow? And who doesn't want to see cold anymore? All of those for me. Bless God from whom all blessings flow, though, because it's, it's good. It's all right. He's taking care of us. We are able to be here tonight, which is awesome. Uh, this is week three of Love Well. Uh, wasn't sure that we were going to get to have ground zero because of snow again out there, but we decided that we would plow through, uh, and we would go ahead and run it, and you party people came out, which we are excited about hoping that we have a good night. Uh, as we get started, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we will uh, run off. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for uh, allowing us to be here this evening, just allowing us to be in your house, Lord, with your family at Jersey. I thank you, God, that you have privileged us and honored us with the gospel and allowing us to know you, uh, that you have been so abundantly gracious to us in allowing us to sit at this point in history where we live in a country where we can read your word, where we have your word, all 66 books completed, where we have a family who can worship in freedom. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would take this force, you would mobilize us, and you would use us to change your world for the glory of your name. Uh, Lord, touch so many through uh, your text tonight and into this series. We trust you to be abundantly good as you show us what we do not right now know, as you expand our love for you and our love for people. We trust you with these things, and it is all for the beauty of your name that everybody says. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and grab those. We are going to be in a Hosea this evening, specifically chapter 3. Uh, I love Hosea, but before we get to it, we're going to recap last week. Uh, what we said last week was basically what you need to understand as you really kind of delve into the graciousness of God, as you look into the depths of his love for you, what you need to get right away is mainly that you are not worthy, but in spite of your sin, God has been abundantly good to you nonetheless. That you have been born into a world that God has granted you the blessing of life, but instead of falling underneath God's rule and reign as your source of satisfaction and joy, all of us, every one of us have run away from God to do what we saw fit, and in the process, we've really declared before the God of the universe that we would much rather have our own way than God's way. We would much rather do it the way we want to do it, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, for as long as we want to do it, and we really don't care what God has to say about it. Now, this could go a couple different ways. If you're a church kid, I'm a church kid, all right? I grew up in the church. I was born a preacher's family in little Amish country, Ohio, a Southern Baptist white church, white, white building church, and it's, it's in the middle of nowhere, and, and I grew up in this thing. I've learned the Bible, and I've studied the Bible underneath my family and youth leaders uh, since I was born, and even then, even in my upbringing, my heart is deceitful, my soul is broken, and I love sin way more than I would like to confess to you, and Christ Christ is the only hope that I have as a church kid to have what is broken within me redeemed to be restored to the original purpose that God made me for to become a trophy of his affection is all by God's grace and not of our own doing. So if you're a church kid, let me say something to you. Apart from the blood of 
Jesus. You can learn every Bible verse that you care to learn. You can average 23 minutes of prayer a day or more. You can pray without falling asleep. And that might make you impressive in our eyes, but not before God. Because God's not in heaven looking at you and saying, you're impressive and you're not impressive and you're doing pretty good and you're not doing so good. And and man, this guy over here prayed 23 minutes today. Holy Spirit, have you ever seen that in the course of human history? Like, like he, he does not look at us as if we are impressive maybe because apart from Christ, our hearts are deceitful, they are wicked, and they love sin and debauchery more than they love God. And this is so natural for us, we don't even realize it. And we have said this on repeat, and we'll continue to say it. No one had to teach you how to sin. You did it naturally. No one had to learn you up in the ways of lying. No one had to teach you how to be prideful. No one had to teach you how to be uh, self-centered, how to be selfish, how to be uh, intro-focused. No one had to teach you how to be mean to people. No one had to teach you how to abuse the world around you for your own gain. No one taught you that, but you did it naturally. Mainly, if you get someone who's just learning how to talk, a little child, what are they always saying? Look at me! Look at me! And if you don't look at me, I'm going to cry and beat my head against the concrete until you do look at me or until I pass out from the trauma of me beating my head against the concrete. Because even as little beings, our souls are already beginning to display through our humanity that we are busted. Now, If you are not a church kid, you are no better off and you are no worse off. Because you being into this world, you being born into this world, you are equally broken. And if it manifests itself differently, that doesn't mean that a church kid's better and that doesn't mean that a out-of-church sinner is better. They are both busted beings in need of something to interfere and interact on their behalf to be abundantly more than they could ever be. And that's what we have in Christ. What we said... We sin as we bring our debauchery and our failures and our wickedness to the table. God has met those failures, those sins, that wickedness with grace. And he being a just and righteous God, unable to spare wrath, sends his son in the flesh, his only begotten son out of great love into the world so that he could become the vessel on which God would dump wrath upon that you rightfully deserved and I rightfully deserved. He dumps it onto the son and under the weight of the wrath that he experiences on our behalf, although he has done nothing wrong, under that weight he is crushed butchered and murdered on a cross only to three days later rise again in victory that we would be able to be justified in his actions that he would be able to take from us our sin and the rightful wrath that God's that God has on us for our sin he takes that away and in replacement he gives you redemption righteousness and new life in him and in him alone so that now I don't operate out of responsibility I operate out of love it's not that man we're trying to earn something from God so we come to church we're trying to we're trying to put him in our debt somehow so we pray as much as we can and if I could just master this sin problem and get that out and cut that away and do this and don't do that if I could just do this then maybe God would love me no you will never ever ever be good enough to earn anything 
from the sovereign king of the universe, yet he in his grace has seen it fit to let grace flow over our lives. And because we have experienced such a deep and profound love in God, we are now motivated by that love to chase him out of joy. It's not out of obligation, it's out of joy because we want to know him more, we want to love him more, we want to experience him more. That's why we walk certain ways, that's why we do certain things, that's why we talk in certain ways, that's why we believe as we do because we want to know the one who has saved us more. And that's the good news of the gospel, that Christ has redeemed what you could not possibly redeem. We took that out of Ephesians 2 last week. This week we're going to talk about Hosea. How many of you went to Awakening 13, first awakening we ever did? How many of you are pumped about summer camp? It's going to be pretty legit. It's going to be awesome. You guys want to bring your friends and to make sure you get signed up for that. Awakening 13, Friday night, first time uh, that we have ever been to Skyview outside of uh, Noah's Ark slash episode 13. If you ever, if you, any of you were there, remembered that. It snowed, it rained all day long. It was miserable, but it was a great time. The same. Uh, we went back for Awakening 13, and the first sermon that we shared together on that night was about Hosea and Gomer. Does anybody remember that sermon? That's what we're going to be talking about again tonight. It is probably the most profound love story in the Bible outside of Christ's passion for us himself. Outside of the gospel, this is one of the most amazing love stories in all of scripture, and it's really just a symbolization, a picture of what God has done for us. So this is where we will uh, plant our feet, but as we do so and as we get into this, I just want to I want to give you a couple thoughts to kind of frame up our night together, mainly this one, that God cannot help himself but to love. God cannot help himself but to love. Now, we really normally do not like to see these two words together, this one coming first. Normally, we don't like to say that God can't do something, but in reality, the Bible says that there are multiple things that God can't do. He can't tell a lie. He can't be anything but holy. He can't be anything but righteous. He can't not be God. He will always be God. He never ceases to be God. Evidence of that is the fact that we're still sitting here, and he's the one who supplies us even the grace to do that. If there was ever a point in time where God ceased being God, we would cease to exist. God will always be God. And John 4, 8 says that God is love. It's not that he has love. It's not that he does love. It's not that he supplies love. It says that in and of itself, he is the very essence of of love, and that's what we said in the beginning. What is love? The series is called Love Well. How do we love God well? How do we be loved by God? How do we experience that love? And how do we love others through that love? The fact of the matter is the world wants to know what love is, but if you're looking for it in the fullest form, in its very essence, you have to find God because he is love. He can't help himself but be himself. To not be himself would to deny his own nature, which would be to cease to be God, which we know he cannot do. Not only that, but he has tremendous love in and of itself for people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How many ever heard that before? How many ever heard that? If you've got a Bible, I want you to underline this word right here, so, because it's a profound word. It's really quite magnificent that it says that. He so 
loves. Not a little bit, not, not in micro fashion, but that he so loves. That's significant. Have you ever been so loved by somebody? My mother calls me like 19 times a day. I've been gone for like two years, and every time I still see her, she cries her eyes out when I have to leave. Like, Ma, get off of me. Get a box of tissues. Leave me alone. She calls me. I can't answer because I'm in a meeting. Continues to call me and call me and call me. Around here, if your phone goes off during a meeting uh, where Keith Matthews is in the room, you got to give a dollar to missions. I'm broke. My mom won't stop calling. She, she just, she so loves. She so loves. A woman, she loves her family. She will not stop reminding us of this fact. She's coming up here this weekend for my bride-to-be, Miss Betroth's uh, wedding shower, uh, and she has been calling nonstop to tell us all the things she's going to make for me so I can put them in the freezer uh, so that I can eat them because I'm still a bachelor for 79 more days and I need some food. My mom just so loves. I don't even like sweets, but she mails me cakes in the mail <laughs> with a little thing of frosting that I'm given directions to spread in a certain way with a certain knife. Like she just so loves. Like get off. Like, get this, get this. You do not deserve it. You can't earn it. And it is not because of you. But God so loves you. It's not because you can provide anything for him. It's not because he's impressed by you. It's not because you give him something that he doesn't already have. He owns it all. And nonetheless, even in our rebellion, God so loved. One passage of scripture says that if he was willing to give up his own son, how much more will he do for us in this great love he so loves? One passage says that he lavishes love upon us. A ridiculous, uncomprehendable amount of love that we experience in our God, not because we've earned it, but because he has so graciously given it to us. That's the best news in the world. This is what it means. It means that God cannot love you any less. He can't love you any more. He so loves you right now. Not a future version of you. Not a better version. He doesn't love you more. If you could just get this right. or you could fix this sin problem. If you could manhandle or white knuckle uh, Christianity. Be a better person. God would love you more. Uh-uh. He so loves you right now. Right now. And his love is moving you towards the image of the Son sanctifying you and changing you and transforming you one day at a time to look more like Christ. And it is out of this love that we operate. It is out of this love that we experience joy. It is out of this love that we have been completed. It is out of this love that we are able to bring his name glory. It is out of this love that our hearts now seek him where at one time they sought sin. It is out of this love that we sit here in this room tonight being occupied by the presence of the Lord. He so loves you, and you can do nothing for him. You can do nothing for him. There's nothing that he needs from you. Nothing that you can provide that he doesn't already have, yet he continues to love.
He so loves you. And we're going to see this in story form in the story of Hosea and Gomer. If you know this story, I'll summarize it for you, and then we're going to pick it up at one of the strangest points in it. Hosea is a prophet. He's in Israel 750 years before Christ actually stepped into the world in the event of the incarnation. Hosea is a prophet. He's in Israel. God uses prophets to direct, to break, and to steer the hearts of Israelites back to the Lord their God. And Hosea is no different. He's a godly man, a famous man in the land. Everybody knows who Hosea is. He's an upright man. He walks in righteousness. He loves the Lord, and he is been given a great assignment, mainly to steer the children of Israel back to the Lord their God, for this is a prosperous time in Israel. They are uh, making money hand over fist. They are uh, blessed with a lot of resource, and one thing we know throughout the history of the children of Israel is that whenever they are in difficult times, they lean on God, and whenever they are in blessings and prosperous times, they lean away from God, and they start to think that there are other gods, mainly themselves, that supply for them what their real God cannot supply, and this time is no different. Israel is prospering economically, but they are suffering spiritually because they have sold out many of their faiths towards God, and they've put faith in and of themselves. They've put faith in Baal. They've put faith in idols, and they have stopped worshiping the Lord their God. And Hosea has been given a special task at this point in history to redirect and to steer the hearts of these children back to God. God comes to Hosea one day and says, I want you to go marry a prostitute. Somebody was like, lost the air. <laughs> Breathe, dude, it's all right. <laughs> There's a conclusion. Comes to Hosea and says, go marry a prostitute. Come again. I'm trying to steer the children of Israel here, God. I think I heard you say go marry a prostitute, but surely my hearing's going bad. Because that's not what you said, right, God? Go marry a prostitute. Go marry a woman who is loved by another. And he goes, finds a woman by the name of Gomer. Bummer name, huh? Like, what were her parents thinking? Gomer. Very attractive. He, he gets this, this woman named Gomer. He puts his love upon her, and he loves her. This is, this is a prostitute. She is in the sex slave industry. She has been used by greedy men uh, for money. Uh, she is uh, a broken individual, and Hosea, an upright man, says, I will love you. I will put my love upon you. I will have you all the days. I will honor the Lord my God in this request, marries Gomer. They have three children. Three children named Jezreel which is a cursed name. The second one, not kidding, the name is literally translated, not my people. And the third one was named No Mercy. <laughs> now those are real bummer names. <laughs> like God, God gives this child to Hosea and Gomer, and God says, yeah, name this one not my people. Second one, name this one, No Mercy. Why? Why? Because the children of Israel were playing the part of the harlot. 
They were taking from God what he had so graciously given them, and they were running away with it to do what they wanted to do, how they wanted to do it. And God put Hosea at this point in history to play out what spiritually the children of Israel were doing so that eyes would be opened and their hearts would receive this news that God has been left for fake gods and idols, and that if the children of Israel knew what was good for them, they need to turn around and walk back to him. So Hosea, go marry this prostitute. Marries Gomer, three children. And this is where we find it in chapter 3. Three children, mom and dad, at home. And then you find it in three one, and it says this, And the Lord said to me, Hosea, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Go again. You need to circle that, highlight it, put smokestacks in your Bible, put a flare somewhere, write that thing down, memorize that on the surface of your heart. Go again. What has happened here? Well, Gomer's left home. She peaced out. She said, enough, I'm not doing this anymore. Hosea wakes up one day and she's gone. Looks in the bedroom, around the house, looks with the kids. Gomer's nowhere to be found. Walks around. Have you seen Gomer? I, I haven't seen her. Nowhere to be found. Probably goes through some dark nights, some moments of depression, some difficulty. Like imagine, Jose is an upright man. He's, he's a godly man. And he has been directed and tasked with steering the hearts of the children of Israel back to the Lord their God, and he can't even keep his own home together. He can't even keep his own wife at home. The embarrassment would be immense. He could lose his position before the eyes of the people. And God comes to Hosea and says, Go again. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. Wait, I said that backwards. Shame all the way. Go again, love this woman. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Here. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethage of barley. So I bought her. Hosea, go find her. Go find her and love her again, just as I have loved these people again and again and again and again. Many scholars believe because prostitutes were sold at town center on a chopping block where many greedy men would gather and she would go to the highest bidder, that Hosea walks in on an auction and Gomer stands there before the people being sold. And Hosea comes and says, what's her price? And this auction, it doesn't go down in the good parts of town. This is like red light brothel district. This is nasty. This is a place you don't go after a certain time at night. But Hosea goes there. A godly man goes there because God told him to. And he sees his wife having steeped back into the slavery that he pulled her out of. And he's been told to love her. So he buys her. See, other men wanted to buy her, to use her. 
and Hosea wanted to buy her to set her free. This is symbolization, namely, of what God has done for you and I. The Bible says this about God, that the earth is his and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell within it. Understand something, you're breathing in this room and the only reason you breathe is because God has allowed you to do so. He is so good to you in this place. Even for those of you who don't know him, who seek to live out your lives for your own glory and your own gain, even in your sin, God is so gracious to you. He lets you laugh. He lets you eat good food. He allows you to experience friendship, to experience blessing, to experience happiness. He is so abundantly good to you. All the while, he pursues you with grace. Even as you run away from him in sin, he pursues you with this grace. He is so abundantly good to you. And if you could just get it through your minds that he doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to be so gracious. He doesn't have to pursue us. We can give him nothing. Yet in and of his own nature, he so loves us. Like, get your head around that. If you could get that in your guts, it would change you. The earth is the Lord. You already belong to him. You're not operating autonomously outside of his control. He is in control of everything. He owns it all. And at any point in time, he could do whatever he wishes to do. Yet 2,000 years ago, on a hill just outside of Jerusalem, he sent his son to purchase back a people that had run from him for generations. You and me. The world. On that hill, he spilt his blood. He was crushed under our rightful weight of wrath to set us free. You see, our sin, it enslaves us. As long as we dwell in sin, we will be enslaved. But Christ, Christ, not because he has to, but because the will of the Father has been pressed on him and he is obedient to the fullest form, because Christ was willing to do what we could not do. He spills his blood so that you could go free all the while, you chose sin, which was enslaving, condemning, and damning. All the while, Christ chose freedom for you. And you already belong to him. Your wife. You, you're married. You have children together. Why are you buying her? Because I will set this woman free, just as God has told me to do so. That we would be able to see in this marriage, in this picture, what God has done for us today. Look at these verses, 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest in us. That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. God is love. He manifests it upon us in nature and in the story of the gospel, mainly that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ has come to set us free, to make us alive again. Look at this one. In this love, 
Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be propitiation for our sins. This word propitiation, it means to offer up something to God that would dispel or would satisfy his wrath. So that the son was able to offer up his own life, which would, uh, it would take away the wrath that he had for those who were in sin, you and me. In this we've experienced love. In this we see God. In this we see our part, our role. Look here, in the story, Jesus Christ is our Hosea. And you, me, we're Gomer. We're Gomer. We play the harlot. We play the harlot. We are the ones who take what God has given us and seek to do with it what should not be done for our own gain and our own glory. And all the while, Christ comes again and again and again, pursuing you in spirit, drawing you near, allowing you to know him and be loved by him so that even in my brokenness, I experience the overwhelming depths and riches of God's love for me as he pours over me mercy and allows me to be in Christ. Jesus Christ, he's your Hosea. He's your Hosea. And you have been so loved by him. You have been loved well. You have been loved so well. Here, in your sin, all that you could muster was hatred for God. Whether you're a church kid or that you've never been to church before and you were rebellious as the day is long. Regardless of what polar end you found yourself on, your sin was reflective of a heart filled with hatred for the God of mercy. And all the while, the Father says to the Son, go and find them. Bring them home. For I will glorify myself through their freedom. Through their freedom. And in this news, we have been set free. In this message, we have found our hope. In this story, we see our Hosea, our knight. The silver lining comes forth and he takes us from what we have made and restores us to a position that we willingly forsook. Jesus Christ is your Hosea. And even if you sit in this room and you hate him in your sin, he continues to love you. He continues to love you. And he's not going to stop. He's not going to quit. Some of you are like trying to get him off your trail. Like that does never goes well. You're like, God, just leave me alone. Like, just quit. Just get away. I want Just let me do my own thing. And all the while, he draws on you. And he pulls you. set you free. I'll make you whole. I'll do for you what you can't do for yourself. I'll do for you what right now you can't even begin to understand and I'll do it all for the glory of my name. So band, you come and play.
I said this last week, and I'll say it again and again and again and again and again. If you're a part of the family here at Jersey, we will never stand in this place and give you anything other than the gospel. Mainly because you don't graduate from it. Because you never get to the place where you stop needing it. If the Bible made it clear that there was anything more beneficial for your soul than the gospel, then we would give it to you. But yet, all the while, Paul and Peter and everyone else who had a hand in bringing us the New Testament continued to tell the good news of Christ for us. Continue to give the gospel. Why? Because you need it. Oh, I'm already saved. You still need it. It's still the fresh water in your soul that allows you to keep going. See, when I start to get bogged down, when I start to, start to look inwardly and I start to feel the guilt and shame of brokenness and I, I start to divert away from the path that God had me on, when I'm removed from the fountain, when I'm sitting in muck and mire once again, when I've played the harlot, it is my Hosea that brings me home every single time. It is Christ's love for me in the cross, the power of the gospel that draws me home. It is Christ that finds me, for I belong to him. He has purchased me, and he restores me to freedom every single time. And inwardly, it's easy, especially in our guilt and our shame, if you're a Christian but struggling if you're a Christian, but you're dealing with stuff. If you're a Christian, but you're being tempted. If you're a Christian, but you feel weak. It is so easy to look inwardly and to say, man, I'm just a terrible person. I can't get this. I can't do it. I'm not good enough. And right there, God would meet you and say, you're right. You're not good enough. But I am more than enough. The cross stands before us and will continually be a reminder that he has victory in his son. So we got to get our eyes up. We got to get our eyes up. I'm struggling with porn, what I look at on the computer. I'm struggling with the, uh, my heart, uh, my heart in my relationship with my parents. I've got bitterness there, and I don't know why. I'm struggling with anger. I'm struggling with pride. I don't understand why I'm so selfish. I'm being mean. I can't, I'm just easily frustrated. I don't know what to do. I know that I love God, but I just can't seem to master this thing. Get your eyes up and see glory in the cross. Know that Christ is your Hosea and bask in his mercy and allow that to be your motivating factor in moving forward. Let that glory be the drawing card as you walk towards him in faith. Let God's mercy upon your soul be the initiating love and motivation in taking one step at a time, one day at a time as the Holy Spirit empowers you to walk towards Christ being conformed into the image of the Son. You need the gospel. You don't need moral deism. You don't need to learn how to worship yourselves. You don't need to know how to master your own sins. There's no equation for that, friend. You need the gospel. So we will continue to bring it to you. It is the task that God has given. 
and our family will never stop rejoicing in the fact that God said on Calvary, I will redeem, I will save, I will set free. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. You have been so abundantly gracious to us. Father, tonight I just pray that this week of study and communication would touch down in our souls, that you would move in our hearts, that we would experience the freedom you have for us. Lord, I thank you that you drew sons and daughters last week, that the family expanded, has four students laid their rebellion down, repented of sin, and put their full trust in you to be sufficient in their covering. What an amazing privilege it is to see people come to know you and experience the joy of a family growing. Lord, tonight I pray that you would just really woo us, romance us, stir us up with affection as we marvel at the good news of the gospel. May we all, with the eyes of our hearts, see you breaking forth, purchasing us towards freedom and allowing us to walk in your love. For you have so loved us that we experience it in the fullest form this evening. It will all be for the glory of your name. Your glory. Amen. As always, you can find your place here. If you do find your place here, um, I love it. I love it that this is that this place is always available, that this thing is open. If you come here, um, if you find your place here, let it be a place of prayer. Let it be a place where where you kind of bend your body down to reflect the position of your heart. May this be a place where you cry out to God for whatever need or whatever thing you have in your spirit. Let this place be a place of prayer. And in this house, if you lift your hands to worship, may may it be out of a cry for more of this God, the worship of this God who has done it all for you. Let's have a really sweet time in the Lord. Can we do that? Let's have a really sweet time in the Lord. Let's go.